0: Hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David and as always I am joined by the chilling Matt. Hello there. Well then Matt, we are discussing Thin Ice this week, Series 10, Episode 3. We are. Um, But before we do, uh, should we start with an apology?
1: Uh, Well we definitely need to. Okay. Uh, Have you Mm -hmm. got anything you need to apologise for this week? I mean, I feel like I don't,
0: but uh, please elucidate me. I'm sure there's something. Oh I'm well,
1: I, I, I owe you and all the listeners an apology.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: because the time is now one forty-eight, and at two o'clock, England's first game of the Euros kicks off. Um, I've got the telly on whilst we're recording this, but. I'll be honest, my uh, my heart's not going to be in it this afternoon. <laughs> Come on, England!
0: Yes, um, oh, the flags are out in force. I, I genuinely yeah. had the conversation with, with, with my partner this morning, um, where she just said to me, I, is there some kind of sport going on at the moment? Because... There's a lot of England flags around all of a sudden. And I had to sort of reassure that, yes, there was there was some kind of European football tournament. And, and we're up it, against
1: what, Croatia, the team that knocked yeah. us out the last World Cup.
0: Yes, yeah. It's just hard to tell, post-Brexit especially, isn't it, whether whether it is sport-related or, or whether we're just increasingly sliding towards a sort of nationalistic, uh, proto-fascist state. Um But,
1: yeah, fortunately... Oh, shut up, man. Where's your national pride?
0: I have plenty of national pride. I just don't give a shit about sports.
1: uh... Oh, shut up, man. Just wait. Just wait. When you're waffling on about, you know, how great Capaldi is on the guitar, I'm going (laughs) to interrupt because England are going to score a blinder.
0: All right, then. Are Croatia good? Are they good at Uh, the old
1: football? They're good enough that they eat... They beat England last time we played them. So. <laughs> I think we've beat them since. We beat them in a in a friendly since they knocked us out of the World Cup. Right. But yeah, anytime you're waffling on, uh, I'm just going to unmute my TV. All right then. So if you're discussing, you know, how great Tom Baker is, I'm just going to put the footy on in the background. Checkers,
0: I feel like we're, we're breaking all kinds of like broadcasting laws in the.
1: Place. Who cares? It's the Euro. <laughs> okay,
0: but if if Sky or whoever slap us with a lawsuit, then uh, on look, your look, it's head, on the BBC,
1: and I the... pay my license fee.
0: Ah, oh, so that that gives you free free reign to uh, broadcast it to an international audience <laughs> via a podcast.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't matter. Everyone else in the world will be watching it, and this will be out a week later. So,
0: that's we'll true. Already, it's, it's we'll already like we'll be, be qualified
1: it. from the group by then.
0: <laughs> so it's not a straight knockout situation. Then you know we can bounce back if Croatia hand our asses to us.
1: Ba- basically, we need to do okay, okay today, but our tournament really kicks off next next match when we play Scotland. Right. You know. So if we do okay today, we're going to absolutely destroy the haggis chasers. And then that's going to really kickstart the tournament for Mm. us.
0: I don't think football brings out the best side in you, Matt. I'm
1: just going to leave it I'm well up for this. (laughs) Right. Um, Should should we do our podcast?
0: We should. Um, Our our primarily biscuit-related podcast. Yep. There was a yep. lot of biscuit talk last week, wasn't there?
1: Yeah. It's, it's you know, it's really, really taken our listenership by storm. Mm. So, um, sorry, I'm half paying attention to the football. Yeah, biscuits. So, yeah, we got a lovely message from the folks over at Married to Who. Do you want to say hello to those guys, David? Hello. Uh, explaining how... Girl Scout Cookies were all right, right. And, and they say the best ones are the Samoas. So I might have a go at making some this week.
0: Which ones are those again? Can you remember?
1: Uh, it's the ones we said that look, look like breaded chicken. But oh. they've got, like, coconut and caramel and all sorts in. Mm.
0: There's certainly a lot going on there,
1: those ones. Yeah. So I might give them a go this week.
0: All right, then. Well, um... So uh, how's your food week been otherwise? Anything nice uh, for breakfast? Uh what did I have for
1: breakfast? Oh I had I had the best breakfast this morning. Did you? A strawberry cornetto. Oh that's that's a strong opener, especially
0: on a sweaty summer's day like today. On
1: a day like today you cannot beat a lovely, lovely cornetto. Nothing flash, I didn't go for like a mint chop chick one. Mm. Just a bog standard strawberry cornetto. What's
0: come on then quickly because there's only three of them. What's your cornetto rankings?
1: Um, I, I think I would probably go strawberry top, mint chocolate chip middle, and then just plain chocolate at the bottom.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. I um very different from mine. Strawberry comes in dead last for me. Oh really? Yep. Yeah. Then then your classic chocolate and hazelnut. And then at the top, Mint. Oh,
1: great. I look forward to our listeners discussing this for the next three weeks.
0: Oh, yes, please. Please do write yeah. it. Uh, and and it, whilst you're at it, you can give us your um, uh, Edgar Wright Cornetto trilogy rankings as well.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: just, yeah. just you know, so We might as well just do do them together.
1: Shaun of the Dead, Hot Foes, World's End for me.
0: Yeah, I I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead was a real... That was a special film for me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, it just came along at just the right time in my life. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, let's... so
1: What the, What did you have for breakfast?
0: Oh, um, I've, I really pushed the boat out this week, Matt.
1: Vegetarian sausage sandwich or something?
0: No, no. Uh, I had a bit of toast, a bit of marmite. Also... Oh, wow. On half of one slice of toast, bit of lemon curd, with marmite. No, no, that would be oh. insane. I was gonna say. Like, <laughs> no, are I you making think... George's marvelous medicine? <laughs> <laughs> no, do you never do this? Sometimes you like you, you maybe want a bit of jam or something, but you don't want to like dedicate an entire slice of toast to just jam. So you just, you know, cut a bit of your, your toast slice off no. and reserve that for a separate spread.
1: I, I go brown brown toast with marmite for my main and mm-hmm. then white toast with butter for pudding
0: right that's a pretty uh that's a classic approach uh but yep. yeah no a, fr- a friend of ours made some lemon curd um apparently she it was v- via my partner but she was she was telling me uh, apparently the story went um I had too many lemons so I made some lemon curd. And then I had to go to the shops to buy more lemons because I'd used up all the lemons on the lemon curd. It suggests to me that they just wanted to make lemon curd
1: yeah i I can honestly <laughs> say since I was about maybe nine years old, mm-hmm. I've never hankered for lemon curd it just it's just neither here nor there for me
0: it's It's one of those things where I want it like once in a blue moon i I'm not gonna be I'm not like getting a jar of lemon curd in my weekly shop but <laughs> just every now and then if i happen to if it, if one catches my eye or as is the case currently a jar you know just winds up in our in our cupboard um with uh no no real input on my part i don't know it's it's a welcome addition just for a bit See, of variety
1: last week i said i don't really like lemon biscuits and this week i've said i don't really like lemon curd Are you just have lemon I do love lemon sorbet, and I tell you, my favourite mm. meal with lemon in—yeah, lemon yogurt—they're underrated. Oh,
0: lemon yogurts are underrated, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm pretty much I'm a sucker for anything sort of lemon or, or citrus flavoured. Um, I love I love um, lemon meringue pie. Uh, mm. Any kind of fruit based uh, sweet selection, you know, be it jelly babies or uh, fruit pastels or whatever. Uh, opal fruits
1: mm-hmm.
0: your, your yellowed lemon ones are always the the ones I gravitate towards
1: what about your meal of the week then we've done breakfast mm.
0: um, this could be a bit of recency bias creeping in but it's been a fairly unremarkable week um, mm-hmm. I did just have quite a nice cheese toasty
1: oh just now just for just your lunch now.
0: yeah so anything think, in it,
1: any pickle, any I was gonna say any ham, but you don't do ham, do nah, you? No, so
0: just just straight up. Um what, what what but what we did end up happening was um we'd had a little bit of cathedral city, like mm-hmm. just just like a nub knocking around in the back of the fridge. And then we got some like cheaper cheddar from Aldi. So I grated the last of the Cathedral City and added it to the to the slightly rubbier, rubberier Aldi cheddar and it was a really good combination because you got the tang from the cathedral city but you had that real ooziness that you can only achieve with a cheap supermarket cheddar so nice. um yeah it was it was a pretty pretty strong showing
1: for the uh Br- brown or white bread
0: best of both
1: ah oh, we're a bit of a fan of best of both in our household mm. too i but-
0: i reluctantly accept it because my partner I, refuses to just buy nothing but white bread.
1: Uh, I find that it goes stale. That's its one drawback. Yeah, it goes stale
0: quicker. Yeah, you, I, I, I'll be honest. I'm personally a bit of a purist. I just like proper squidgy white bread. Mm. Anything, anything less than that to me is is a compromise. If
1: I'm being honest. What about uh, brown bread? It's better for you. Get your dietary fibre.
0: But you might as well just have a piece of cardboard.
1: You you live in a dream world, boy.
0: (laughs) It's just a waste of my time, Matt.
1: A lovely, like, granary cob.
0: Oh, that's different. I I thought we were talking, like, pre-sliced supermarket bread. Well,
1: even then, like a nice seeded batch. Uh,
0: Yeah, 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 that's fine. But that's not... Granary is separate to just... Brown when people say brown bread, I picture just like your bog standard wholemeal loaf, which is a joyless loaf of bread. Mm. Uh, yeah, the high quality granary bread is a whole different kettle of fish.
1: Yeah, you can't beat it. Yeah. Well, my my meal of the week yesterday, for the first time in about two years, I went to the pub. Oh, congratulations! Yeah. So I went along with enemy of the show, Tim Riley, and some friends, and my meal of the week, I just had a lovely, sat-in-the-sun, lager shandy.
0: Ooh, excellent. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, as I'm talking to you right now, that's my (laughs) pint glass, I am enjoying another lovely lager shandy. Mm. I can't get enough of it. It's...
0: (sighs) It is, the, the, in many ways, the perfect summer drink.
1: It's Britain's favourite cocktail. Mm.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a ve- I'm very jealous. Very jealous right now. If you,
1: if you were having a Shandy, would you go for a Bitter Shandy or a Lager Shandy?
0: Lager Shandy. Yeah. Definitely.
1: Growing up, I always had Bitter Shandy, and I don't really yeah. know why. Lager Shandy is so much nicer.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. It just, it, it just because I'm not a massive lager person in general. I, I don't, you know, I'll never completely uh, turn turn down lager in the right context. But there's, yeah, for making a shandy, you you want that kind of lightness,
1: don't you? Does does shandy exist abroad?
0: Like you know, must
1: do. We've talked about it in the past. You just never see Americans on TV shows discuss a shandy.
0: No, that's true. Our international listeners do write into us. Let us know if you know what a shandy is.
1: Yeah. Have you ever had a turbo shandy, David?
0: No. What's a turbo shandy?
1: Well, so if for those that don't know, don't forget, David, we've got some young listeners. Yes. Okay. So a shandy is effectively half lager, half lemonade. Yeah. And it just makes a lovely, refreshing... Fizzy drink, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, there's a few variations, so you could have a shandy top, which is like where you have three quarters beer and just a tiny bit of lemonade to give it a bit of flavour. But a, tur- a turbo shandy yeah, is where, instead of just normal lemonade, you would put something like a Smirnoff Ice, like an alcoholic lemonade in there. Right, yeah. And then, there's the rarest of all the shandies, the reverse shandy... <laughs> Sounds like a sexual position. Get your mind out of the gutter. (laughs) I just said we've got young listeners and there's you talking about your preferred Karma Sutra (laughs) bonking position.
0: You telling me you've never had a reverse Shandy
1: Not in the way you mean (laughs) dirty dirty boy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay, well, tell me what a reverse shandy is. I'm, I'm right, so a reverse afraid.
1: shandy is where you reverse where the alcohol comes from. Mm. So you get a, a bottle of Calibre, or other alcohol-free lager, Okay, and then mix that with a Smirnoff ice.
0: Oh, I see. That seems counterintuitive.
1: But it's usually a lot cheaper.
0: Mm, I suppose. Yeah, now I, I, I'm fairly conservative when it comes to my shandies. I'll tell you what my favourite... Are you a fan of when you get those tiny little French beers? You know uh, the ones, stubbies. Yeah, the ones that come in those little green bottles.
1: Yeah, wouldn't even fill a teacup.
0: Yeah, that to me is your perfect uh, shandy beer.
1: Well, at my, my order yesterday, I said to the lady at the pub, uh, I think it was called the Horse and Carriage Pub mm-hmm. in Egborough, um, and she said, "I said, can I have a lager shandy?" And she said, oh, which lager would you like? And I always say the same, David. Just whichever's cheapest, please. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think yesterday I had a Carling Shandy. Mm. Today I'm on the Carlsberg, because that was the cheapest beer at the garage.
0: Fair enough. I'd certainly, I'd sooner have have one of those beers in shandy form than straight up.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, £6 all in, four pints of lager that I would never drink. And a bottle of Schweppes. Mm.
0: Good work, good work. Um, all right then. So, shall we move on to "Would I Lie to Who" for this week?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, I've really struggled to prepare this, David. Okay. Okay. So it's not—it's not, it's not going to be a good one.
0: Is, do um, you feel like this is the second time on the trot where you feel like you're—you're
1: you're well not doing the a great is, job with this? I'm back at work mm. after the half-term break. Yeah, And I've got now what's called gained time. So a lot of my students have finished for the year. So all of a sudden I'm teaching like half the lessons I normally would. Right. And I've just got too much free time. Like if I only had half an hour to do a job, I would do it in half an hour. But when you've got like three hours, I, I just find I'm so unproductive and like my mind just wanders. Yeah. So yeah. like you just like this, you
0: slowed down.
1: This week I, I literally watched the episode we're gonna talk about about an hour before we were recording. Mm-hmm. And like, would I lie to who? Normally something'll happen to me through the week and I'll be like, Right, that's it, that's the one. And I, I just haven't been there this week.
0: Yeah. Well, okay, all of those caveats out of the way then. Hit me with your mediocre, what I lie to who.
1: Right. So, yesterday, I've already hinted, I got together with some friends. You did? And we played a big game of Warhammer. Right. Okay, because it's what the cool kids do. It is, certainly. Yeah, rather than those, you know, the goths. After your little comment last week, mm-hmm. where you were like, oh, who are you to pick on the goths? I put a lovely picture of my Warhammer up on Twitter, and they all come out the woodwork, don't they? <laughs> yeah. So, as I said, I got together with some friends, and we played a little bit of Warhammer. Yeah. Okay. Now, to make it interesting, I named one of my soldiers. Okay. Okay. So he's not one of the characters from the Warhammer lore. Okay, I just gave him a little name just to make him funny. So okay. I want you to see, from these three options, which was the name I gave him. Oh, England have just hit the post! <laughs> Phil Foden's just hit the post.
0: That's not good, yeah. is it? what he no. should have done what he should have done there Matt I don't know if you agree with me is he probably should have tried to kick it into the net because then he would have got a goal wouldn't he oh,
1: that was from nowhere Croatia have mm. kind of been dominating the first five minutes anyway so three names I'm going to give you David I want you to tell me which one was the name I chose for my character go for it okay name number one shooty Peter <laughs> Yeah. Number two, Ian Gunman. That's strong, yeah. Number three, Killer Martin.
0: Okay, so they're all they're all kind of in that same realm, aren't they, of quite standard bloke names. Yeah. Um, so yeah well, so- he,
1: He's a Vindicare assassin, David. He's a big snipey boy.
0: Okay, right. So this is 40k you're playing, isn't it?
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: is um, worth 100 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, any any distinguishing features on the model?
1: Uh, I can send you a picture if you'd like.
0: Yeah, go on then. That might help me decide. Because so, I don't have a lot else to go on otherwise, do I really?
1: Uh, let me send you a picture. Let's have I a think- butcher's. There you go. If you want, I'll commentate the football whilst you're looking. Because that is a beautiful ball down the line. Mason Mount's picked it up in the left corner. Is he going to go for a cross? mm mm-hmm. Uh No, he's played it backwards. I think Sterling's there to help him out. England yes. in the box. Harry Kane holding up play. He's gone down. No penalty. It's an England corner, David. Right.
0: Right then, I'm, I'm having a look now. Here we go. Mm. Two very large guns there. Yeah, one one quite quite girthy, the other quite lengthy. Yep. A lot of uh, a lot of uh, skull motifs. Yeah, and skin
1: tight red stealth yep. suit. Yeah,
0: that's it's the whole affair. It's so nineties, isn't it? Yeah,
1: well, it's quite an old model. There is a more <laughs> modern one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, um, just run, run through the options for me one more time whilst I'm looking at the image.
1: So option number one is Shooty Peter. Mm-hmm. Option number two, Ian Gunman. Or option number three, Killer Martin.
0: Okay, I'm dismissing Killer Martin. So it's between Shooty Peter or Ian Gunman. Um... I think of those... I'm just going to have to go with which one I like best, I think. And for me, it's Shooty Peter.
1: You're going with Shooty Peter? I'm going with Shooty Peter. Well, I'm sad to tell you, David, that you were, you were your instinct wasn't that far off. Yeah. His name is Ian Gunman. Ah, uh, well, there you go. I had and a that's feeling that was probably Ian the right Gunman answer. Gunman the Senior, because I do have another of the same model, the more modern version, Ian Gunman Jr.,
0: Oh, I see. It didn't realise it was a dynasty.
1: Yeah, whole legacy of the gunman family.
0: Mm. But when will there be a gunwoman? That's that's what people really uh, want to know. There's a
1: knifey woman. Uh, I might introduce her to the family, but she hasn't got a big gun. That's <laughs> uh,
0: just England have just it, had a,
1: a good shot on goal. A player that I don't really like, Calvin Phillips, plays for Leeds United.
0: Mm. Why don't you like him?
1: Uh, Because my brother supports Leeds United. And all he talks about is how good Calvin Phillips is. Mm. I'm sure he's a perfectly pleasant bloke. On that note, should we move into television highlights of the week?
0: I suppose so. The trouble is, I don't think I've got one, Matt. Really? Yeah, um... I haven't watched a lot of TV that isn't Doctor Who this week.
1: Oh, um, You've been watching classic again.
0: I've been watching classic. I've also been watching a bit more of um, Series Eleven, Jodie Whittaker's first series. So,
1: hi, we're nearly there. Why are you getting so ahead of yourself?
0: I've just, I just kind of had a bit of a hankering to revisit it. Is all. I can't tell you exactly why. Well, I, you know what? Okay, I will say. I've got an awful feeling that the series coming up is going to be her last and I really don't want it to be. I'm not ready for her to move on. And I was feeling a bit low earlier in the week, so I just ended up uh, just watching a bit, watching a bit more series 11. as a bit of a comfort thing, Mm -hmm. just kind of vaguely clinging on, um... And there's a few reasons why I don't want her to go, um, but the most important one is just she hasn't had as many stories as the others. Even though she'd have done three series, she's had shorter series than anyone else, and she's not done as many specials. So, it,
1: the story I, I don't really is know. Is she lower. keen to stay on?
0: She said in interviews before that she is, and that the trouble is there was rumours a while a while ago. If you remember, a few months ago there were some rumours about her potentially leaving. Mm-hmm. and um the the BBC neither confirmed nor denied at the time jodie Whitaker didn't make an official comment in interviews in over the last sort of 12 months or so she's just always said words to the effect of like i'm not thinking about leaving right now or you know you know that kind of thing that where it's just like it it leaves the door a little bit ajar like you're not yeah. technically lying but also you know what I mean, yeah, so yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, nobody outside of the production knows for sure whether she is or she isn't leaving. Mm. there's certainly been no like nothing solid to back up the rumors no um but yeah i'm just I'm just not ready, not ready for it, not ready for this this year to be her last year in the role. And, uh, yeah, it's been kind of on so, my mind.
1: So, which classic stories have you been watching?
0: Um, I've been watching Paradise Towers.
1: Yeah, well, Yep, keep going, just find out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I've been watching Paradise Towers. I'm, I'm finally watching the seventh Doctor here in order. So, I was doing Time of the Rani a couple of weeks ago. Um, Paradise Towers, not a well loved story at all, but I'm having an absolute so blast with it. Um, and I think you know what. So I, really like Matt, already, guys. I will yeah. not be intimidated in by bullies. What you are doing that right is, now is, is tantamount to bullying. Guys, like it, time the time bullying, time. and I and will not stand them for next to it. Each other I'm
1: sorry. Did you say something there? <laughs> Go on. Sorry, you you were watching the towers of something.
0: Paradise Towers.
1: Paradise Towers. <sighs> yeah. Go on. Which Doctor does that feature?
0: The 7th Doctor.
1: Alright, okay. right,
0: Matt, let's move on. Let's move
1: on. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I'm going to do this every week, but instead of the football, <laughs> I might have like an old Only Fools and Horses rerun for <laughs> Dave or something.
0: Alright, so what about you? What's your TV highlight of the week? Uh,
1: I watched the first episode of Loki. Yeah? Uh, and... I quite enjoyed it. I think there's more to come from that series. In,
0: mm.
1: I mean, well, that literally
0: is. There's several more episodes that they've, well, yeah, they've
1: produced. <laughs> it, the idea of, you know, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey mm-hmm. being in the MCU really does appeal to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very curious about that one. I feel obligated to finish watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier first. But I'll be honest, that series has not clicked with me.
1: Yeah, that's that's quite... I don't want to say a dry series, but it's it's quite adult if you know what I mean. Mm. Is that the right word I'm looking for? Yeah. I don't like saying that it's dark because um, I'm not a goth, it's, but you know, it, it's a more mature story if that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas I feel like very... it's
0: playing with a very straight bat, whereas yes, One Division was a lot more, uh, you know exciting to me because it was it had that sort of meta element and uh, and and what have you there seemed to be a lot more a lot more fun and invention whereas this is kind of it's just it's very much in the mold of winter soldier and civil war and those mm. kind of quite grim spy spy fi kind
1: of uh things whereas loki starts just by throwing a lot of big, new ideas at you. Mm. And I really hope it investigates some of them. Well, fingers crossed. Um, how many yeah. episodes is it? Do we know? Uh, I think, will it be the usual sort of six, seven, eight in length? Yeah. But my television highlight of the week is... Have you ever watched the programme How It's Made, David? Uh, oh. I- I don't think I have specifically. Um, I've watched the ba- essentially the children's
0: version of it, uh, Maddie's. Do you know? Um, okay. B- in quite large amounts because little off is a big, big fan. Um, so I know how a lot of things are made. As a result,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, there's a, a YouTube channel mm-hmm. that's called How It's Actually Made, <laughs> right. um, and it's a guy dubbing over episodes of how it's made but with such a dry sarcastic commentary that I I can't even quote it because it's so dry but for example I watched one where it was about how pre-packaged sandwiches are made Mm -hmm. um, and he just kept a tally of every time he saw someone handling food but not wearing gloves
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh this sounds very appealing to me yeah. I think uh, that 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 could uh, that could very well be something
1: I waste a lot yeah. of time on. So, and the, do there's a brilliant bit where he's talking about how bacon's made. Yeah. And in the processing machine, he says that the bacon is placed face down, so you can't see its skin. Therefore, you can only judge it by the content of its character. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at that exact moment, you see a man lift some of the bacon away, and he goes, "Yeah, that that." That, be, that pig was evil. That's a bad pig. <laughs> oh, England have just forced another good save. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I would totally recommend. Like, my, my wife really doesn't like it, how it's actually made, because it's so dry. Yeah. So, I, I watched one where they made soy sauce and orange juice, and he, his favourite thing is when you get to see a bottling machine. Mm hmm because the bottles whiz past by so fast, that he goes from being like, and here we see the soy sauce is spread," And he goes, yes, a bottling machine! And you just <laughs> see the bottles flying past. And then he's like, oh, it's, it's, it's the machine that puts the lids on. This isn't as exciting anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know why it was on my YouTube recommended, but I... I, I would really recommend it. Oh,
0: that sounds excellent. Sounds to me- potentially like there's just a touch of look around you about it, maybe? Yeah, a,
1: li- a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. So I can't, I can't remember which one I watched this morning. Um, but it was another one where they were making food. And oh, it was where they were making beer. Mm. And there was a guy just handling the hops but he was running his hands through it uh-huh. and it was just like as you can see this man is clearly a pervert and then he <laughs> turns and gives like a huge grin to the camera um, <laughs> but yeah how it's actually made i would oh. 100% recommend
0: excellent i shall definitely be checking that out good recommendation thank you matt um so then uh i think that kind of does away with all of the uh, all of the usual preamble, doesn't it? So yep. shall we get stuck into um, an episode that I really love, that I know a lot of our listeners really love, and that you, Matt, I'm going to predict had at best no emotional attachment to, not least because of the fact you just rushed it shortly before recording and your mind's already fully distracted by the football. Would yeah.
1: I be? Close to the mark with uh, that assumption. Um, You won't be far off. I Mm. I really liked... This isn't a story episode, is it? Not massively, no. No, it it all hinges on one or two conversations. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, a giant fish? Couldn't care less. (laughs) You know, the Doctor reflecting on how many people he's killed? Give me that all day. Yeah, that's, so.
0: yeah. Okay, fair enough. I mean, at least you did appreciate that that part. Um, yeah, what I would say is this is very much, it's bread and butter Doctor Who, you know. It's nothing fancy, but having Capaldi and Pearl Mackey doing their thing, and on top of that, I think Sarah Dollard in amongst the bread and butter... By the numbers, Doctor Who story leaves enough space for scenes like the one you're referring to just there.
1: I think it really elevates it. Do you, Do you know what it reminds me of now that I can think about it? Yeah, a bit like Tomb of Akaten, where just like that was just an entirely pointless episode, mm. but there's just like one good bit that'll probably stay with me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I would I would rate this much higher than than that one but uh yeah Uh, what i will say is more generally i think if you take this run because obviously we've done the standard here of episode in the present episode in the future episode in the past sometimes they switch around those two but that's the standard new who companion introduction you know triple pack isn't it yeah um I think this is the best version of that. If you take the pilot Smile and Thin Ice in as a whole, as a sort of like mini trilogy, I think it's the strongest run of that. Um, Mm -hmm. Because let's let's think, what did you have with uh, Clara? You had... I mean, Clara's a weird one. because Because of how she was introduced to, to begin with. But I guess if you say... Bells of St. John, and then you've got Crimson Horror. What's her future one? I think it is Rings of Akaten. Yeah. So I think it goes St. John, Akaten, and then Crimson Horror. Yeah, not as good. Um, Amy, and Rory, kind of, but really just Amy. Um, You've got 11th Hour, very strong. Beast Below, quite a step down. I would say. It's giant
1: fish again. Why is it always giant fish?
0: Yeah. And then Victory of the Daleks, which is a very much a mixed bag for me. Uh, Donna. Donna, you've got Partners in Crime. Very strong start for Donna. And then what what comes after that? Oh, she's got Fires of Pompeii. And I think I want to say Planet of the Ood is her first. Possibly. That was an
1: early on one. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Did, That's, uh, you did know, Donna you, ever fight a giant fish? She fought a giant wasp, didn't she? she yeah, she did have a run-in with a giant wasp. Because um, Amy and Rory fought some vampire fish, didn't they? They did, yeah. It's
0: always bloody fish. It's been a while since we've had a fish one. I don't think Clara has a fish story. Mm. I could be wrong about that.
1: Um, but yeah. She, no, had I, thingy. she had the Fisher King. Yeah,
0: he wasn't a big fish though,
1: was he? No, um, he hated fish. He was always fishing him.
0: Exactly. He was the king of the fishermen. Yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, so that's my that's my vague undercooked theory of the week. Um, I think this is the best companion did, intro trilogy.
1: Did Rose see a big fish?
0: Not on screen, I don't think. Because the thing, no. the th- interesting thing about Rose's series, lest we forget, or well, certainly the series one, the Eccleston series, they never go... They never really venture outside of the human race. They never yeah. visit an alien planet. There's a couple of space stations in humanity's future, but uh-huh. they never actually sort of venture outside Do- of the human race's timeline.
1: Donna befriends a fishman, doesn't she? In Doctor's Daughter.
0: No, you're thinking of uh, Martha...
1: Uh, that's who I'm thinking, that's yeah, the name I meant, yeah, Martha. The, the Hath. Hath, yeah. yeah. Which, which of the fish people would win in a fight, do you think?
0: What, the, the Hath versus this giant serpent
1: monster? Yeah, versus the Fisher King, versus the big whale that lives in space. I think
0: my money's on this one. It's, really, it's massive and it's got big pointy teeth, and it's got little anglerfish drones to do its bidding.
1: Yeah, it's a maybe. pretty
0: formidable uh, opponent, I would say.
1: Oh, I think. I think I'd just go for the Fisher King. Yeah. Like, he must have some people doing his bidding if he's the king.
0: I mean, potentially.
1: Yeah. But... Now there's a big finish story waiting to happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wonder whether. Yeah, they've not... T- I don't think anyone's done anything with with the Tivolian homeworld yet. Mm. Big Finish. That's. I feel like that's
1: the scope for something. Anyway, I right. get... Ba- bear with me, David, expensive. right? Th- think of this. You're sitting right. down at your computer. Yes. Big Finish have just released their newest story. Yeah. Up on, up on the screen, the Big Finish logo. Yeah. But then the N... And the second eye disappear. (laughs) And it just says, Big Big Fish fish. Adventures. (laughs) Yes.
0: That's what we need. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. So, would you like some listeners' responses, David? I would
0: love some. I would love some.
1: Okay. So, we will start with... Sadly, we haven't got a message from Marty McLean this week.
0: Oh, what are you playing at, Marty? Uh,
1: suddenly, he has suddenly, suddenly too about big for this podcast. Hey, don't you dare speak to Marty like that. <laughs> okay, uh, he has started a new job this week. Do you want to congratulate him on that David? Oh, I
0: absolutely will. Congratulations, Marty. Hope, hope you're settling
1: in okay. See, if we do that, David, the view from the moral high ground's lovely. He didn't <laughs> reply to us, but we'll just be nice about it. <laughs> right, so. First message comes from BT flibberty giggit do you want to say hello david hello okay he says i adore this episode if i had to make a list of my most rewatched episodes this would definitely be in my top 10 which is wild how uh, sorry which is wild considering how relatively recent it is one of the complaints a lot of people have is the story is kind of slight but the monster isn't the point of the episode this one is all about building up and complicating Bill and Twelve's relationship. And in my opinion, Sarah Dollard knocks it right out the park. There's so much going on between the two of them, and she manages to balance the different aspects perfectly. First, we have the racism aspect, which is handled so much better than the last time Doctor Who had to deal with a person of colour and companion in the past. It manages to balance both how history, especially working class history, is more diverse than might be expected, while still having 12 acknowledge and validate Bill's worries. Then we have Bill having to cope with the darker side of the Doctor's life, how he can't always save people, and how, to a certain extent, he's seen so many horrible things that he doesn't react in a normal way. It's quite a long tweet this, David. We're still going.
0: That's
1: that's Okay. okay. While people died in Smile, it didn't affect Bill to this extent, mostly because it all happened before they got there. This time, a kid dies right in front of them. And the scene where Bill confronts the Doctor about death and his reaction to it is so visceral and harsh, but understandable. Sutcliffe, though he only appears in one scene, is an amazing villain to showcase everything the Doctor isn't. Greedy, small-minded, and completely lacking in empathy. Yet, completely human. The Doctor punching him, and then giving his speech about progress, is top-tier Capaldi material. And Bill throwing its words back at him... No time for outrage, you never have time for anything else, right? Shows how much closer she's come to understanding the Doctor over the course of just this episode. The climax of the episode is masterful as well, just like in Kill the Moon, which is one of the episodes I'll go to bat for in spite of prevailing fan opinion. Twelve feels compelled to allow humanity control over their own destiny through his companion, but we get to see how far he's come in how he handles giving Bill that responsibility. With Clara, he basically just tapped out, but with Bill, he understands how to give her that responsibility without having her feel abandoned by him. Bill's choice is a direct contrast to Sutcliffe's, exemplifying the best of humans' empathy—sorry, humanity's empathy and compassion in spite of her misgivings. It's one of my favourite episodes of Season 10, and I think that it shows how much Sarah Dollard just gets Doctor Who... When she's able to tie the thematic threads together in such a satisfying way, quotable, sorry, quotable, thematically rich, and yet such a fun episode to watch. Uh, oh, David's put the football on now.
0: What, what can what can I say, Matt? I genuinely. I feel like um, that that echoes so strongly all my feelings about this episode. So, um, yeah, hats off to you, listener, for that one, because, uh, yeah, I couldn't put it better myself. And as you will find out over the next 45 minutes, I definitely won't put it any better than that. Um, yeah, it's a great episode.
1: Right. Uh, for all of those reasons. So the next message comes from Clover. Do you want to say hello, David? Hello. Okay. The plot isn't a masterpiece like Heaven Sent but it's good. I also like that we see the Doctor's dark side and I also love Bill calls him up on this which makes her really human. Another example of her being human is asking questions about time travel in the beginning. It's also great to see the Doctor punch a homophobe. It's also got some great comedy in this episode. It's one of those episodes you can put on for fun or a one-off. Anyway, gotta say this is a good episode. Yeah, so
0: everyone so far been pretty positive.
1: Okay, so the next message comes from our friends over at the Who Can Convince You podcast. Yes, you say I... hello to those, David.
0: Hello. Yes, I really need to uh, get properly stuck into your back catalogue because uh, you keep releasing new episodes every week, and I don't have time to listen to them all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like I like their setup though, where they they do a a uh, classic and a new story every week. Mm. Um, but uh, it's a lot as a result. They, they, you know, they're good episodes, but there's a,
1: there's a lot to get through. Right. Well, they say it's okay. We just covered this one. Okay. So if you want other perspective, go check their episode out.
0: Yes. Yeah. I think uh, both of both of the hosts are are a bit more sceptical in general around You Who than uh, uh, than a lot of podcasters, and that's quite refreshing to hear. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it can it can be boring if everyone's just agreeing about uh, how great New Who is. It's good to have some
1: different perspectives. Okay, so Luke enjoyed it more than I did, I think. So this message must be from Harry. Mm. Matt Lucas turns up at the end again, and I have to switch off. So I'm not a fan of Nardole.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean
1: he's only in it for two
0: minutes at the end of this one. How are you finding Nardole in general? Three episodes into
1: um, to series ten. Like, does he have to talk all the time? Would, what, when he's it, on screen? Yeah, would less be more? Because, like, when he brings the tea in, he's like, I've made the tea, I've boiled the kettle, and then I put some tea bags in it, I like, put the cups on the tray, and then I walk up the stairs. It's just <laughs> like, yeah, we all know. Just just be quiet. Shh, uh, I think quiet you're
0: doing t- that doing that moment of disservice. I really like the line, I put some coffee in it to give it a bit of flavour. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's a good guy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you do know that means we're going to have to try that on pod. <laughs> uh, you
0: know what? I'll That's going to be this year's fish fingers and custard. Tea with a bit of coffee in it.
1: Mm. Yeah. Right. Our next message comes from our friends over at Married to Who. Do you want to say hello, David? Hello. I think I'll say hello as well. Hello. Because I've.
0: You never say hello yourself, do you? It's always down to me for some reason.
1: You're just a sociable guy. <laughs> <laughs> look, the fans all really like you, all right? <laughs> you know, you say something like, oh, Matt, such a nerd, played his Warhammer, and they come out in their droves, okay? That's not what I, I say, say something that. And they're like, oh, look at Matt with his narrow minded opinions. All <laughs> right. So, I'm going to say hello to Married to Who, because I've been checking them out this week. I've been catching up a little bit. Excellent. Okay. So, it's a good story for Capaldi, showing how different his Doctor is in this series compared with his other two. Pearl Mackie is great, but if I remember right, Bill doesn't really do much in regards to the plot, which carries over for a few more episodes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the next message uh, comes from his lordship, uh, Count Frank of Transylvania. So, do you want to say hello to Frank, head of the Goths?
0: Hello there.
1: Uh, Should I read it in Frank's, like, Transylvanian accent, this tweet? It's great fun, but not as deep as I think it tries to be. But I love a Victorian episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yet again, race issues of the time they go to are handed waved away, which I feel's a little lazy. As funny as the so was Jesus, history's a whitewash line was. I want to suck your blood. Ha, 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 ha. That's a very sinister ending from that message from Frank, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I told it you is, the goths but... are a bunch of weirdos.
0: Indeed. Yeah.
1: Right. Next message comes from our friends over at the My Adventure in Space and Time podcast. Do you want to say hello, David? Hello. Do you think you'll ever say no to that question? If I'm like, do you want to say hello? And you just go, no, I don't. (laughs) Uh,
0: I I doubt it. I mean, maybe if if, if Donald Trump starts tweeting in.
1: Okay. (laughs) Oh, well, not that he'd be able to at this point. No, he's he's been banned. Yeah. Right. So, my adventure in space and time. Okay. How are you getting on with their podcast, David?
0: Not caught up. Dreadful, I know been too busy uh, watching Doctor Who to listen to Doctor Who podcasts. I kind of vacillate yeah. between the two some weeks. Uh,
1: I, I have been listening. And yeah. It, it's one of those things where I, I listen, but because I don't really know what's going on, um, a lot of the stories don't make any sense
0: to me. <laughs> you, should just watch, you should just watch it on. Just get, get stuck into the Hartnell no
1: years. Okay. So, the My Adventure in Space and Time podcast... Say, it's one of my faves, but honestly, I often forget the actual plot. It's all about Bill and the Doctor's relationship. Their Mm -hmm. chemistry is great, and the dialogue really shows them off. And of course, how can anyone resist a bustling market in the past? Yeah. Do, Do you know what? I... I'm I'm always critical. I always say I don't like the old Victorian setting. Mm -hmm. And I think this might be the one that I enjoy the most, simply because the setting's not really a factor.
0: And also, not Victorian, Regency England.
1: Yeah, it's all the same, isn't it? (laughs) Nothing really mattered till World War One.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. No, it is. It's pulled off really nicely here. I do think, yeah, maybe Doctor Who relies on it a little bit too much, but it's something the BBC is very good at. They mm. are a dab hand at recreating, you know, these these eras of British history. So it's kind of they're putting their best foot forward in a lot of ways.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Our next email comes from Amy, and I'm going to warn you, David. England have got a free kick, so I might just start screaming if this goes in. Okie doke. Right. Amy says, honestly, one of my favourites. We have that awesome confrontation between Bill and 12, and I live for scenes like that between the Doctor and Companion. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We have that great speech from 12 about the value of human life, and we have 12 punching that jerk. And then Amy always signs off her tweets with a little quote from the episode, so I think she says the best quote this episode is, I serve at the pleasure of the human race.
0: That's a nice one. It's a nice one to pull out from there.
1: Yep. Right. And the final tweet this week. We've got to the end, David. Hooray. Comes from James Courtney. Hi, James. Okay. Oh, you didn't even wait for me to ask. Well, just trying to keep things moving, you know? Yeah, special friends, you and James.
0: (laughs) We've had zero interaction outside of me saying hello to him and telling... Uh, him, how much I agree with him on podcast.
1: Over the course of the pod, how many times do you think you've said hello to James? Oh,
0: I dread to think, because he was one of the first uh, ones to start regularly tweeting yeah. to us, wasn't he? Do you think so... you've
1: hit the big hundred?
0: Oh, I don't know. I don't know. We'd have. To, I'd have to go back and listen to our <laughs> back catalogue, which is never going to happen. <laughs>
1: uh, In- England wasted their free kick. They just smashed it into the wall. Never mind. Right, James says... One of the interesting discussions going on in the fandom at the time of broadcast... ...was about whether you need to be historically accurate with depicting race in history. I think that it only matters to be accurate when you're telling a story about race. Among the many things this story does, it does address the racism of the era... ...and how being black in the past affects Bill. Not that the Doctor thinks it's much of a concern also dispels the narrative that the UK was only white at the time, particularly in London. So the episode addresses those themes well and mostly succeeds, with plenty of the working class and destitute presented as a mix of races. We also get a racist as the villain. Through and through evil, and he knows it. Elsewhere, Bill is asking all the right questions again, exploring the Doctor's morality. I really love this script from Sarah Dollard, and I do hope she may become a showrunner in the future. I'd also like to pro- praise the production design for the episode. You wouldn't know that most of it was shot inside the studio. Michael Pickwood is a genius at this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Full stop.
0: Yeah, Michael Pickwode is, is, I think, one of the great unsung heroes of the Moffat era. His name should be as familiar to people as a lot of Moffat's go-to writers because, I mean, if nothing else, that TARDIS set he did is was an absolute gift to all the directors from that point on. And, yeah, but all of his production design work. Because he, he came on, I think his first episode was A Christmas Carol. And from that point on, he, he is the, the main production designer right throughout mm-hmm. the rest of Moffat's run. And uh, it really looks less than stunning, this show, during that era. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's weird. I saw on, I don't know whether it was on YouTube or on TV, Mm. uh, a clip from The End of the World with Eccleston. Yeah. And I I was like, I, I know it's probably been a slow, natural progression, but I was like show looks a lot better these days, doesn't it? It
0: really does, yeah. When you suddenly dip back into the RTD era and everything just looks that... It looks more like a British soap opera. And, it yeah, there's just a cheapness to it. Um, yeah. Which isn't me knocking it per se. I think there's a charm to that. It very much makes it... It gives it a certain feel. In the same way that, that Moffat's era feels kind of... Lush in a whimsical way. And a lot of that is down to the work of Michael Pickwood. So, um, yeah. And sadly, no longer with us. He, oh, he, he died a couple of years ago. And, uh, to be honest, that was the first time I'd heard his name. And so ever since I've kind of wanted to kind of bang the drum for him a bit because I think he deserves to be remembered because the work he did on this show is, uh, exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, whilst we're on the subject of singing people's praises, before we get get into the nitty-gritty of the story, um, Sarah Dollard, who's, who gets name-checked by a few of our listeners in their, their responses, and James even said, future showrunner material. Um, I don't know how you feel about that. If I remind you that the, her previous contribution was a little episode called Face the Raven.
1: Hmm not not my favorite episodes but mm. very very doctor who episodes aren't they
0: yeah but i think they've got a particular vibe to them and also i think cuz she was I, I think i'm right in saying she's one of the younger writers to have worked on the series at this time um i think that shows mm. in in both of these episodes that she is reflecting the kinds of Conversations that younger fans and younger people were having at that time, um, and I think it would be really nice to have a for for one a female showrunner and someone who I think is a little more in touch with things. Than, <laughs> basically, yeah. I just feel like we've 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 had a lot of we've had a lot of middle aged white guys now. I think it might be nice to have a different voice at the head of the table for a while. But that's maybe discussions to have further down the line. Um, shall we? So,
1: yeah. Uh, one, one other person that yeah. I wanted to mention is the director, Bill Anderson. Yes. Now, what who, else has he done? Uh, they so just ring bells. When I, he directs this episode and the next episode. Okay. And that's it. He's really? best known for directing episodes of Taggart. Okay. Uh, um, but he hasn't even got a Wikipedia page. So I don't think he's done that much television. Hmm. That's interesting.
0: Um, yeah, I think, the, I think the direction's good in this. I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's not the, the aspect of it that most leaps out to me. Um, hmm. But it serves the story well. So, that all being said, shall we, at long last, uh, get stuck into the story itself?
1: Yep. Okay, so this is Thin Ice, Season 10, Episode 3, from the 29th of April, 2017. Yeah. So it picks up from the end of the last episode, so there's the elephant on the ice and all mm-hmm. that jazz. And when presented with all this... Excitement and exuberance. Mm-hmm. The Doctor just turns around, and just walks straight back into the TARDIS, which I thought was like a good little subtle comedy moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's eighteen fourteen, the last great frost fair. Yes. Okay.
0: Now, this has actually been referenced in Doctor Who before, so we are to presume maybe not on this exact day, but certainly not, you know, not missed by much. The eleventh Doctor and River were having a date there.
1: Oh, really? Yes.
0: Well, River it's funny because when it.
1: when they talk about the uh, talk about the food, the Doctor's mm. like, "Oh, yeah, this is my favorite. I've been here a few times." Yeah, I. So think, that would make sense.
0: Yeah, I think possibly she specifically says she, it was a birthday for her or something because she specifically says that they that he got Stevie Wonder to play for her. Um, mm and uh you know but obviously don't tell him um but anyway yeah so so it, it it's it's a ni- nice little acknowledgement because sometimes doctor who will just d- take the same historical setting or one very nearby and make no reference to it whatsoever um yeah so it it's nice that this one does actually go, doesn't go unnoticed
1: right so, they get dressed up and the Doctor now is excited mm-hmm. and wants to go explore. But Bill immediately highlights the issue of race, doesn't she? Yes. She discusses the melanin levels in her skin. that <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Might be a problem.
0: Yeah. Um, and obviously what people obliquely re- referenced, I don't know whether anyone outright said it, but like you compare this, the way it's handled this, in this episode, to the Shakespeare code. Mm-hmm where the Tenth Doctor literally tells Martha, just walk around like you own the place, that's what I do. <laughs> and it's like, well, it's very easy for you as a white man to do that. Yeah. And they just kind of brush it off. They get a little bit better at it later in the season with the Human Nature and Family of Blood, but I, I like that it's just it's just confronted head on, straight away in this. And as, as others have said, we're like, I mean... Genuinely, a lot of the underclass of of um, the UK at the time was, you know, people of colour. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't as white as a lot of peer, BBC period dramas of the uh, of the sixties to to twenty tens would maybe have you believe. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it's nice. It's nice that they do that, and it does. We, we do get some diverse casting in this. Um, So, yeah, really well handled. Really well handled. Mm
1: -hmm. So, in his excitement, the Doctor bumps into a man with a tray of vegetables, Mm -hmm. and we see them plummet down onto the ice, and then below the ice, we see the giant fish monster. Mm.
0: Do we specifically see his big eye, or does that come a bit later?
1: Uh, I think we see... Quite a bit of him. I think Mm. it sort of like pans down the side and then we see its big eye open.
0: Yeah, yeah. Love that big eye.
1: Yeah, but... I I don't know. I I don't like Doctor Who as much when the monster is just a big animal. You know, like, this isn't an evil fish monster, is it? It just gets a bit hungry.
0: Yeah. But it's you know it's being exploited it's and and i think that there's value in that yeah I, I i think it does that it treads that fine line of presenting a big big animal as an imposing threat but then actually kind of the true evil is not the monster it's it's uh the very unpleasant human being that we encounter later with the episode um mm-hmm. Which, yeah, it's no bad thing,
1: as far as I can see. Right. So we then get the credits. Yeah. And as the Doctor and Bill leave the TARDIS now to go explore, it highlights there are life forms all over the Thames.
0: Yeah. Oh. Well, one big okay. life form. Well, it's yeah. just It just it highlights... It's literally just one big serpentine mass uh, along the Thames. But, yeah... I mean, that, it's a bit on the nose, that moment. I feel like that's there just for the kids to help them
1: keep up, really. Yeah. Uh, so we get a nice discussion about the butterfly effect. And I particularly like the bit where the Doctor says, look, don't overthink it. That's what Pete used to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we get the discussion that the Doctor pretends there was another companion called Pete who has sadly died.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. So It's... <laughs> It's very Twelfth Doctor that I feel like he's being sort of facetious, but in a really dark and kind of cruel way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. So they walk about for a bit, and whilst they do, the Bill notices that the big fish has, like, lights under the ice, like bioluminescence underneath. But rather than... Deal with it immediately. The Doctor really wants a pie. Yes. Okay. So we see the lights on the ice. They sort of move in a circle around like a vagrant and then pull him through the ice. So we get the threat. We see what they can finally do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So so, some kids, Spider and Kitty, steal the sonic screwdriver from the Doctor. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, and as they begin to run away, um, one of them, I think it's Spider, gets pulled through the ice. Yeah, yeah. All except his arm. That's convenient, isn't it? Yeah, enough for the Doctor to get the sonic screwdriver back, Mm. but also enough for it to really scare the holy hell out of Bill.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I, I love the jarring change in tone because up until that point this episode had just even even when the site like the uh the, the the drunk man wandering about on the ice gets sucked under you're not really that bothered like the muse and i think the music kind of holding a hand there in that it's just like oh that's just kind of typical doctor who isn't it you know mm-hmm. some poor unfortunate bloke meets an untimely demise you know what else is new but then it happens to this child in front of Bill, and the, the 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 change in Murray Gold's score is not subtle. Like it it and but it works because it it gives it so much more impact, and you it, it's the change in the score helps you feel what Bill is feeling in that moment, and the way she just like hoarsely begs for him to save the, this this boy, yeah. Um, yeah yeah Pearl Mackey is so good I'm going to say that every week but so be prepared yeah. for that, but.
1: so when the Doctor has a little look to see what he can do Bill runs away mm-hmm. okay and you know the idea that she's never seen anyone die before yeah. so you know last episode she had seen dead people but they mm. were already dead the problem was here she's seen them die yeah okay so the doctor sorry bill asks the doctor how many people he's seen die yeah and whether he's ever killed anyone and to both yeah. those questions he just says you know i've lost count i've moved on
0: yes yeah he's kind of <laughs> so he's this... evasive at first but he's, he he won't outright lie to her and and so she pieces it together yeah that he's he's killed so many people think he's lost count. But the the way he initially is just like, you know, sometimes there are situations where options are limited and she's just like, no, I'm asking you a question. Yeah. The, the, the pair of them play it so well. I'll tell you what, what struck me as a moment that I hadn't spotted particularly before. I was really watching Capaldi's face intently. And there's one moment when he's really, really being needled by Bill where his face goes through various different contortions. And at one moment, just before he answers, he actually smiles for like mm-hmm. half a second, just this little nervous smile. And oh, goodness me, that that was such an interesting acting choice there. Um, yeah, he's so good. He's so good at this story. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's it. That's our first first of the of, of of a couple of really big memorable
1: scenes from this story. So the girl from earlier, Kitty, yeah. reappears and asks for their help, and she leads them to. It's a it's a gang of street urchins, isn't it?
0: They are. They they they're just you know <laughs> they're one faking away from being a, a, in a, a Dickens novel.
1: Yeah. So, the Doctor feeds and entertains them, and whilst doing that, he's gathering information, and he finds out that there's a man who pays the children to advertise the fair. Their job is to get people on the ice. Yeah. Okay. So, the Doctor's plan now is to get himself on the ice, get eaten, and see what's going on beneath the water. Yes. Except when... His plan's in action. It's actually Bill who's the one that gets eaten. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Doctor follows through the ice. We see the bioluminous fish, but we also see chains for the first time, yeah. holding the giant fish in place.
0: Yeah. I do love as well... The, uh, oh, those... Do you not love those old diving suits?
1: Yeah. It's just such It's just like home. a... Yeah, but there's a sort of sense of adventure linked to them.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, that's absolutely.
1: your... Whatever it is, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea.
0: Yeah, Jules Verne, it, yeah, it definitely has that vibe. Because um, that's the thing, it, it, it does... It feels almost, they're almost like a, um, a precursor to spacesuits, but, but transplanted, you know, over about 150 years before anyone would ever really you know, make it out of, you know, into orbit. Um, so, yeah, it, it it's, um, they they feel science fiction-y, even though they're not, if yeah. that makes sense.
1: Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Okay. So they resurface through a fisherman's fishing hole in the yeah. ice. Yeah. Uh, there's a good bit here where Bill realises that the, Fish pie she ate earlier was actually made of these horrible bioluminous <laughs> alien fish. Yeah. Or whatever they are. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, he tells them that they should investigate the workhouse owned by Lord Sutcliffe. Yes. So, they say, you know, we're looking for a guy with a tattoo of an... Is it a ship or an anchor?
0: Uh, a ship, And he's yeah.
1: like... It's like, look, this is the docks. Everyone's got <laughs> tattoos of ships.
0: Yes, okay. yeah. Doesn't really narrow it down. But, uh, yeah, so they've got their next lead, though. Yeah. so
1: they get into the workhouse using the psychic paper. Mm. And they're able to deduce that the workhouse is making bricks out of the fish poo. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the more they feed it, the more of this poo it produces. And they say at this point that the fish is about a mile long, don't mm, they? Yeah. Because the workhouse is based a mile downstream from where they'd been investigating earlier.
0: Now, I, I do specifically want to mention, I haven't looked up his name, but the guy who plays the foreman at the workhouse, <laughs> it's a lovely little guest performance, I think. And I don't think it gets acknowledged enough because he's playing... The, it's a, It's a stereotype, right? But he pitches it just right. That kind of small-minded, but, you know, know, just enough ego. And so the Doctor... What works is is you can see how the Doctor very, very quickly works out everything about this man and knows exactly how to play him to get the information. Uh,
1: Yeah, he totally manipulates him on the promise of, like, promotion and more money yeah. and, and,
0: and like but he, he does it by like flattering his intelligence even though he's clearly quite a thick bloke <laughs> he's just like yeah. oh well it takes a very smart man to, to uh, work that out and uh yeah it's so i think it's it's not because there are some quite big flashy scenes in terms of with a lot more emotional depth this is a scene that people don't highlight but i think it's one of the ones that i personally really enjoy because of the the kind of it adds a bit of lightness and and, and uh, comedic flourishes to what would otherwise be quite a boring exposition. So yeah. yeah,
1: it breaks it up quite nicely. Yeah. So they find out that the fish poo used as a fuel mm-hmm. burns hotter and longer than coal. Yes. And it even burns underwater. Yeah. So the doctor suspects this is a fuel being used for interstellar travel. Mm-hmm. But that thread never really goes anywhere, does it?
0: No. No, it doesn't specifically.
1: No. Okay. So after that, they go to meet with Sutcliffe, Lord Sutcliffe, head of the workhouse. Now, did you recognise Lord Sutcliffe, David?
0: I did indeed. Um I've only seen him in one other thing specifically I think. Yeah. Which is Nathan Barley.
1: Exactly. That's what I've seen him in. He was in The Mighty Boosh a little bit but not as a main character or anything. But yeah. it's Nicholas Burns. Uh, I might have to watch Nathan Barley again.
0: That show. I... Have have you have you ever rewatched it since it was first broadcast?
1: Yeah, a couple of times.
0: It is prophetic isn't
1: it yeah it, the the more recently i watch it the more i appreciate how much it predicted the future and celebrity it, culture
0: yeah yeah and the and the media industry and the rise of hipsters and all the rest of it it's like it's it's eerie that they they basically saw what at that point was a very niche thing and i remember it being not particularly well received at the time because people like you know they're satirising something that basically doesn't exist or is is so niche that no-one else is going to really understand it. But then, yeah, three years down the line, Nathan Barley's just start popping up everywhere.
1: Yeah, Um, well, if you you look at the world now... Yeah. You know, if you look at who is considered a celebrity, it is people who are just famous because they're famous.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's... uh, it's a great. If you've never seen it, listeners, um, it's definitely worth checking out. It's uh, it was a sitcom by um, uh, Charlie Brooker, these days best known for Black Mirror, and uh, Chris Morris, who is uh, one of the most influential people in in uh, British comedy history. I think it's fair Absolutely. to say at this point. Um,
1: absolute genius. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't it end? Doesn't he just jump out of a window? Because he's had enough. Ah, it might be. It's so long since I've watched it now. I can't remember. Uh, I think he tries to jump out of a window, but there's like a window cleaner on the next floor down (laughs) or something. I can't remember. Yeah. I'm going to have to re-watch it.
0: It's so so good. And it's, it's one that I think gets overlooked a bit because both Chris Morris and Charlie Brooker have done both done work that it was more widely received hmm. it, it, it's a bit of a footnote for both of them in their cvs but it really holds up i think
1: but also it came out in a, at a time where british comedy i mean we had the office that was probably the big thing yeah but it was in the age of like Bow selector where British comedy was really catchphrazy, yeah, and Little than... Britain
0: and stuff like that. It was kind of, it was, yeah, they were doing something very highbrow and absurd, and and challenging, whilst a lot of the rest of the British comedy scene was kind of a bit of a race to the bottom, and and uh, yeah, yeah. So it does stand out, I think, as something quite special and and, and underappreciated in its time.
1: Mm. Anyway, yeah. he's
0: great in this as
1: basically playing George Osborne. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I've just put Sutcliffe is Nicholas Burns, in brackets, Nathan Barley, and he's a massive racist. Yeah. And that's that's as much or as little as you need to know about him. Yeah. He, he's, you know, a spoilt little Lord Fauntleroy mm-hmm. who, you know, looks down on anyone and everyone.
0: Yes, and he. You know, he ha he basically, he basically he, he, he strolls in and the first thing he sees is Bill sat on a chair and is immediately so outraged by this mm. um, you know, refers to her as, as sort of that creature and, yeah. you know, and tells her to get on her feet in in, in the presence of her betters. And we, we as well, we should we should mention seconds prior to this the doctor is lecturing Bill on, uh, you know, how they need to proceed with subtlety and tact, and you know, he might not be, be a very nice person. Driven by
1: emotion, and yeah, things yeah, like yeah,
0: that. and then just immediately clocks him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is a, it was a, weirdly, it was a controversial moment that when it was broadcast, really. Just because the doctor, you know, people who people who mistakenly think the doctor is a pacifist yeah. were kind of upset that he'd do that. But, you know, if I if I was presenting a choice between him landing a well deserved punch in the face of a racist versus murdering an entire species of spider babies you know, which is the lesser of two evils. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I don't personally have a problem with it. Uh, I think it, it's well-timed. And as well, and I think this is overlooked by the people who criticise that moment, it, it's in part there to under to underscore the Doctor's hypocrisy. You know, that he's just lecturing Bill on, like, this is how we do things. And then something offends his, his moral sensibilities and uh, he just goes straight for the punch. So, yeah,
1: I I think yeah. it's a great moment. Well, unfortunately, that punch immediately lands them in trouble because they get tied up by Sutcliffe's men. Yeah. And this is where we kind of get a little bit more plot. We find out that the giant fish is a Sutcliffe family secret. Yes which he has inherited to keep the family, you know, nice and rich. They've been selling this fuel. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the doctor now begins to impress Bill with his compassion. Yes. Okay. So Sutcliffe decides it's time to bring forward his plan. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's The doctor's worked out that, you know, People are going to be drawn to the ice for the fairs. So Sutcliffe's going to do everything he can to put as many people on the ice as possible, okay? And this is all going to happen whilst the Doctor and Bill are tied up in a tent with plenty of explosives. So it's the fuel from earlier, but it's been repurposed as an explosive. mm mm-hmm. Okay? So they're sat on the ice, and they're tied to the central column of this tent. Mm-hmm. and. They look down through the ice, and they can see fish lights beginning to appear. Yeah. Okay. It's not looking good for them. Yes! England have scored, David.
0: Oh, scare the shit out of me there, Matt. <laughs> Raheem Sterling. Ah. So what's the score now?
1: 1-0 to England. Oh. How much left on the clock? Uh, we're in the 56th minute, so there is about half an hour. A lot of people said Sterling shouldn't start today. Well,
0: they'll have egg on their faces, won't they?
1: Yeah. Sorry, everyone, if you just listened to a really nice conversation about Doctor Who. Mm. Um,
0: we we that... we knew this might happen.
1: That was a decent team goal. Mm. Lovely ball down the right. Cheeky little bit from Calvin Phillips, who I slagged off earlier. There we go. Right. Do you Back not to think, Dr. though, Matt,
0: this kind of exemplifies the major flaw of football in that nothing can happen for an hour before, you know, something interesting actually occurs?
1: Yeah, a lot of parallels
0: with this week's episode, isn't there? <laughs> oh, there's a few right, good, so- solid goals in this story, I'd say.
1: Yeah, I can't wait for people to send complaints that I've deafened them. Um, (laughs) I might put a tweet out, just a disclosure, just have your volume a bit lower this week. Right. Yeah. So, the Doctor attempts to free them, the fish lights are appearing, and the Doctor works out that the sonic screwdriver can be used to attract the fish. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, what he does is throw the sonic screwdriver to one of Sutcliffe's lackeys. Mm -hmm. And then he is eaten and fed to the fish, okay, rather than the Doctor and Bill. Okay. Then, this time, again, this is where we get a little bit of... I know it got mentioned in the tweets. A bit of a parallel with Kill the Moon and Clara. Because, rather than the Doctor just simply saying, right, the decision's yours, I'm going... He's like, look, I'm a tool here for you to use. What's the plan, boss?
0: Yeah. Okay. Bas- he's he's learned his lesson from Kill the Moon, hasn't he?
1: Yeah. Like,
0: obviously, he, he still basically has the same basic opinion, that it's not his role
1: to decide yeah.
0: these pivotal things. But rather than abandoning his companion, saying, all right, off you go then, and being an absolute wanker about it, instead... Yeah. He's he's so much more gentle, and you know, reassuring. yeah. It comes
1: back to the idea that he serves mm. mankind, yeah, rather a re- than he's a, entirely separate. Yeah, like, okay. it's a
0: re- really nice, nice moment, and, and I think a really important one as a point of contrast. Um, and as well, this this whole this whole plot kind of echoes uh, the aforementioned beast below, really. In yeah we're presented with this choice between we, we've got this thing, we don't know if it's good or evil because it has been enslaved by humanity and isn't free to make its own choices so now we've got an opportunity to see if it will you know, make the right choices or not um, mm-hmm. or we could just knock the whole thing on its head so yeah, obviously Bill Bill does the compassionate thing
1: and yeah. just says, tells the save, doctor, save, her. save it. Yeah. yeah. So the doctor goes off to save it, whilst <laughs> Bill uses the urchins to evacuate the ice. Yes. Okay. So Sutcliffe is still planning to blow the ice up. He's telling people there's no threat. I think, don't they say that someone's fallen through the ice and that's reason that it's thawing and everyone needs to evacuate? Mm hmm. Okay, so he presses the plunger rigged to all the explosives to blow the ice up. However, the doctor has used the sonic screwdriver to redirect the charge. So rather than... Oh, England very nearly scored again there. Oh, I think we've got an injury to Harry Kane, which would be a shame. But the Doctor redirects the blast to the chains, which Mm -hmm. frees the beast rather than blowing up the ice. Yep. Okay, so now we've got a whole other problem as there's a giant fish now freed. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Sutcliffe falls into the water because he has that classic problem where the ice cracks right between his legs. Yeah,
0: it's so cartoony, that moment. But he's essentially a cartoon villain, so I think it's kind of fitting. Um, yeah, and he especially kind of deserves it. The icing on the cake when he finally goes under, and then the the top hat springs yeah. out of the water. It's so yeah. silly, but I I love it.
1: It yeah. it could have been worse. It could have had like a big burp sound effect when his <laughs> hat yeah fires back out. Okay, so the Doctor lifts Bill from the ice because she's still running and there's a parallel you fear that she's going to fall through.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, And this is where we get the nice little wrap-up at the end. So they take all the urchins to Sutcliffe's house
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and they say, oh, why have you brought us here? And Bill says, well, hopefully for a long time. And the Doctor, I couldn't work out, was he using Tipex or just scratching the ink away?
0: I think just scratching the ink away.
1: Okay, so on the deed to the house, he takes the first name of one of the urchins, I think he's called Perry, and he deems that that child is Percival Sutcliffe. He says he's now the tra- the illegitimate child of Sutcliffe, an heir to the Sutcliffe family fortune. So yes. So gives all the urchins a place to live, a place to stay. Okay. So the Doctor and Bill then use the TARDIS to get back to the doctor's office where they left uh, at the start of last episode. Mm -hmm. And just as Nardol brings the tea in. Okay, and as you say, he puts a bit of coffee in it just for (laughs) flavour, which I I don't buy. I love a lovely strong cup of tea. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, but I I mean, we don't know what Nardole's sense of smell is like or taste, do we?
1: Well, yeah, he is a, a robot, isn't he? Exactly. Okay. okay. So it takes Nadal about three seconds to realize that they're all in period costume. <laughs> yeah. And he's absolutely furious that the doctor has gone against his oath. Yeah. Okay. And Bill is looking on her phone and says, you know, why is there no record of that giant fish? Yeah. And instead, the doctor shows that there is records of Sutcliffe dying. Okay? Because mm-hmm. he basically said everyone thought they were drunk at the time and there can't possibly be a giant fish in the Thames. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So he also shows her that the kids were all fine. They lived happily ever after in that house. Yeah. So even though he couldn't save that, that boy from the beginning, he does do a little bit of good for those that are left. Absolutely.
0: It's a lovely, happy ending.
1: Yeah. Okay. And then to decide whether he's going to continue adventuring, he tosses a coin. And we didn't mention this earlier. Oh, yeah. Whilst at the fair, he did watch a trickster doing heads or tails and getting it right every time. And the Doctor Mm -hmm. does inquire how he's able to do that. Yes. So so he's obviously decided himself that it's time to start adventuring again. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the episode ends with Nardal just doing his like little bit of custodial duties down at the vault, tidying up, and he hears a knock on the door. Oh, Okay. Just three knocks though, I think. Yeah, not four. If it was four and it was Wilf in the vault <laughs> that'd be mad.
0: Uh what what what's your guess this week then? Have you got any different guesses well, for
1: at I- me in the vault? My, my initial guess were, were Davros, Gallifrey and Missy. Yeah. Uh, and I'm dismissing, obviously, Gallifrey.
0: It'd be weird be, for an entire planet to knock.
1: Yeah, it could be Thingy, though. Um, Rassilon. Oh. When Ooh. he got ordered away.
0: Yeah, that'd be an interesting one.
1: Yeah, the Doctor might have just put him in a box. Um, but... I think I'm still going to go with Missy because hmm. when when did we last see her?
0: I think it was the witches. Was Familiar. it when? She,
1: yeah, when she like sided with the Daleks and said, "I've got a plan." Yeah, and then we never saw anything coming. I don't
0: that. think we've seen Hyde nor hair ever since. No.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that I don't know. That seems too obvious. I. It might just be like a big, horrible monster. Mm.
0: Well, we'll probably find out at the end of the series, won't we?
1: (laughs) Yeah. What have we got next week?
0: Next week, we will be discussing an episode entitled Knock Knock. Who's there? It's just
1: just, the episode of Doctor Who called Knock Knock. Uh, You were supposed to say Doctor.
0: Yeah, I didn't know, did I?
1: And Go then I could that. say Doctor Who, and then we just hit the credits, and yep. that's it for this week. That would have
0: been that would have been the smart thing to do. I'm not going to lie, but that that's not what happened. Um, Sorry, I've, I've I've let you down. I've let the listeners <laughs> down, but you know most of all that I've let myself down there, haven't I? Yeah. All right, well, do join us for that. Until yep. next time, thanks very much for listening, and cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space.
1: If you wish to contact us our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at time nor space pod.
0: And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.